In the following live session recording, Tim Cool, Chief Solutions Officer for Cool Solutions Group in Charlotte, North Carolina, talks about the four buckets of church facility budgeting. It is important for church leaders to understand that the operation and care of our ministry facilities is almost always the second or third largest budget expenditure in a church budget. When you're budgeting for your facilities, there are four primary budget buckets that need to be considered. This session will help the listener to understand how to budget for ministry facilities. Let's join Tim now. Okay, good. So we've got a, a wide diversity here. That'll be kind of fun. So give you a little more background of myself. Um, I am the husband of one wife of 35 years and the father of 22-year-old triplets. Um, I paid my last tuition check in January. So there's, and paid the last rent. Two girls and a boy. So yeah, there's two weddings, but they're not dating, thank God, for, for at least a little while longer. Um, I've been serving churches around 34 years, uh, helping them with their facilities. I started off on the construction side and then has have moved slightly from that, still help with some construction, but uh, do a fair amount of facility, what I can refer to as facility stewardship. So Alan used the word, word earlier about stewardship. And I grew up in a pastor's home, and, um, and not Baptist. But um, whenever I heard the word stewardship, I always thought money. It's a stewardship campaign, you know, the, 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 the. Well, stewardship really just means you're taking care of somebody else's stuff. And so if we all believe that everything on earth belongs to God, these chairs, the cars you drove in, the house that you live in, this building that we're sitting in, then all of those have been entrusted to us to steward because they belong to God. So our facilities are a big part of that as well. So before we get started with the actual workshop, what I'd like to do is have a little fun, okay? You all been sitting, some of you have been sitting here for almost three hours uh, waiting for this to start. And so I'm gonna give you 30 things that you never wanna hear your facility manager say, okay? I am too busy to plan ahead. <laughs> I am sure I can Google and figure out how to fix that. I haven't been on the roof in years. Where did I put that knife? In what budget? I am never caught up. My favorite one, I know a guy. Okay, famous last words. Storing gasoline and paint in the same closet is fine. That is the way we've always done it. Seven words of a dying organization. Why would we want to go green? Our team spends X hours every week adjusting thermostats. I have all the information in my head. And so when I get hit by a truck, it's all gone. I don't like to use technology, that's just who I am. To save costs, we're changing to single ply toilet paper. <laughs> I don't answer the phone on the weekends. Okay, these are things you don't want to hear your facility guy. When's your busiest day of the week? Sunday. If he's not there on Sunday, he needs to be available on Sunday. In fact, most of the churches I work with, their facility guys work Sunday through Thursday and take Friday and Saturday off. Because, I mean, all sorts of stuff happens on Sunday. And it's not all salvations, okay, or baptisms. Sometimes the air conditioning goes out and so on. Um, next, I am not sure how much money is needed to keep our facilities up to speed. 
I don't know how many square feet are in our facility. If your facility manager cannot tell you exactly how many square feet you have in your buildings, you got the wrong guy in the job. Because so much of the, the way you budget for facilities is based on square footage. When you plan on replacing carpet, how many square feet of carpet do you need? How many square feet of walls need painted? If he doesn't know these things, he needs to be educated and trained up on it. We'll get volunteers to paint the steeple. <laughs> if you go down and talk to your insurance agent, ask him what he thinks. The carpet looks fine to me. We cleaned it 10 years ago. I'm not sure what that odor is. I'm sure it will go away. So how many of you know what happens when um, the P-trap of a floor drain dries out? So when you walk into a bathroom and you start smelling sewer, it's not because the person before you that was in the room, okay? It's most likely that the, the trap has dried out. And it's getting worse for most of us because we're not wet mopping. Back in the day when we wet mopped, water went down there and it filled the trap up. Now we're using microfibers and we're do, doing other things to uh, accomplish our cleaning. And so we're not pouring water down the, the drains as often. So little, little things like that to just keep, keep your mind in gear with. So LED will never become mainstream. Life cycle, is that a new kind of bike? Hello, Mr. Fire Marshal. Can you wait here while I go and move some things? <laughs> no joke, a, a church told me they had this new receptionist that knew that they had boxes stashed in a hallway. There was a fire exit and the fire marshal came. She goes, can you wait here? I need to move some things. And he followed her back, <laughs> wrote them up, gave them a fine. Let me set up the ladder on this table to reach that high area. What is OSHA? How many of you realize that your church is subjected to OSHA? Okay. Now, the likelihood of OSHA popping in and doing an inspection is very slim. Unless you're doing a construction project where you've got workers on the site, or you find a disgruntled neighbor or someone that turns you into OSHA because of something that they're just mad about. But if you walk around your building, go into your storage closets and look at your ladders. If they do not have the weight limit sticker still on it, you are out of compliance with OSHA. I mean, it's, I know it sounds silly, but these are the kind of things that we need to be aware of. We can't just do it the way we did in 1950 and assume we're gonna get by with stuff. We are a church, so we do not need to comply with codes. Not a good answer, I'm not sure. I am sure we do not need a permit to add that room. HVAC filters should last at least a year. I only use the building once, once a week. How much dirt can it produce? How often do you replace your air conditioning filters at your church? Anybody know? Once a quarter. I, I'm a once a quarter guy, but one of the guys on my staff is a once a monther. He, uh, Nathan Parr used to be the um, operations pastor at First Baptist Belton, Texas. And he said, I wanted to replace them every month, so I'd buy the, the inexpensive ones, because it forced me to go inside the unit and listen to it and see if anything else was going on every month instead of waiting three months and then finding something going on. So again, personal preferences, but um, doing it on a regular basis is important. The smoke detectors kept beeping, so I unplugged them. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I have to tell you, I am a theorist and a generalist. And so I am guilty of this. I have two smoke detectors at the house that I've currently unplugged because I can't get them to shut up, so I've ordered new ones. But if my house burns down while I'm gone, you'll know why. And then the last one is it's not my job. 
Don't ever want to hear a facility guy tell me it's not my job. If it's related to facilities, it's your job. If it's related to helping the ministries fulfill their ministry through what you do as a facility manager, it's your job. And to put that into more perspective, the facility manager should not be seen as the redheaded stepchild of your staff. Yeah, they may wear jeans and carry a tool belt and do other stuff like that, but they're as important as your, as your senior staff. Okay, so the reason why you came, I hope, was to learn a little bit about what we refer to as the four buckets of church facility budgeting. And um, if you go on our website that Alan referenced to, coolsolutionsgroup.com, um, we have a free ebook on this that if you read it, you wouldn't have had to come today because it all would have been there. Um, but so there, there's four buckets, and we're going to run through each one of them um, in different degrees. Um, each one of them are critical to be considered. The very first one is operations. How do we keep the lights on and the doors open? So this is what, when we're doing budgeting at our churches, this is generally what we're thinking of. And this is the only thing that we're thinking of. So we know, based on, uh, we've, we've surveyed about 500 churches across the country, plus there's an organization called IFMA, International Facility Managers Association. They are the world's renowned facility management organization, best, best in class. Not church-centric, but they have a, what they call a community of practice for houses of worship. Sounds really generic. Um, but based on their research and ours, you, churches that spend between a dollar and a dollar fifty a square foot are in a good range. So how many of you know right off the top of your head how much you spend on utilities and how many square feet you have? Come on, you're the administrator. Well, we, yeah, we spend uh, 145000 a year okay. on utilities. Mm-hmm. Our square footage. Okay, well, run, run the number when you you know when you get back home. About a dollar twenty-five is kind of optimal. If you're above a dollar fifty, you've got inefficiencies, and in the two inefficiencies that we generally see, the first one is uh, behavior. Meaning, we turn it on at six in the morning and turn it off at ten at night. That's a behavioral inefficiency. The second inefficiency is you probably have equipment that is outdated and so it's not running as efficiently as you could with more modern equipment. If you're below a dollar, either you are a superstar with energy savings or you're underutilizing your building. Because a church that's spending 90 cents a square foot that only meets once a week there is probably not being efficient with how they're utilizing their, their utilities. So just because someone's under a dollar doesn't make them a superstar. It could be that they underutilize their buildings. I heard it said that next to the NFL, the churches are the most inefficient users of facilities. You know, you spend billions of dollars on a football stadium for eight home games a year. You know. Okay, so utilities are your first thing. The second is janitorial. So our research has shown between $1.75 and 250 a square foot. This will include janitorial cleaning supplies, paper products for your restrooms, and the manpower to clean the, the space, whether it's insourced or outsourced. And that's, that's a topic that we could spend the next several hours on is do I insource, do I outsource? What's your general 
thought. Yes, that is my thought. So it, it, what's hilarious about it, Matt, is I, I will talk to a church and I say, well, we just switched from in-source to outsource. It's the greatest thing ever. Then another group says, we just went from outsource to back to in-source. It's the greatest thing ever. To me, it really boils down to a couple of factors. One is what's the level of control you want to have and what's your cultural requirement for staff? Do you want the, the janitorial team to be bought into the vision and mission of the church or are they merely employees that are cleaning toilets? The other side of that though is, do you want to have to deal with all the HR stuff or will you just want to fire a company if they're not doing what they're doing at a moment's notice? So there's, there's give and take and it really becomes more of a cultural consideration for the church. The other, yeah. Yeah, but when my dad was a pastor, I, my dad never pastored a church bigger than about 150 people. And I was part of the janitorial staff. Saturdays, dad would take us to the church and we'd run the sweeper and dust the pews and you know put paper products in. And we did that as, as young kids growing up so that he'd let us drive the car in the church parking lot before we were of age. And uh, so there was always a carrot at the end of that. With your janitorial, that number also includes any of your major cleaning. So your carpet extractions, you do that once or twice a year. Your window cleaning, those kind of things are all included in that. The, the third piece of this first bucket is your general maintenance. So we figured that you need about 250 to 350 a square foot for general maintenance. So that is all of your break fix things, uh, painting, um, replacing ceiling tiles, uh, your HVAC maintenance, and all the things that go into that, including the labor for that. Is that replacement of no. HVAC system? No, nope. that's strictly for maintenance of it. Yeah, replacement we're going to deal with when we get into the next couple buckets. So this is just to maintain it. Um, and I'm going to, I'll go ahead and spoiler alert, The what we have found is churches that have significant amounts of deferred maintenance underfund this and this. We do facility condition assessments all across the country. And in every case where a church has deferred maintenance, which is 100% of the churches that we, we review, it's because they underfunded their general maintenance and understaffed their facility staff. We just finished an assessment for a church in Arlington, Texas. 40,000 square foot building, a congregation of 250 people, $1.8 million in deferred maintenance. Wow. How do you ever get caught up? Can't. You can't. Uh, without doing a massive capital campaign to do that. Nobody wants it. Nobody, that's the least sexy thing to do a capital campaign for is, is to repair the roofs. So I did a, a kind of a regression study and said, if you'd have spent this right amount of money for the last 20 years, how much money would you have spent? And it was $900,000. So if they'd have done this right, they'd have only spent 900,000, now they're $1.8 million in the hole. But this is a tough discussion to have with the finance team when they want to have three more missions trips next year. And, and I know it's a balance. So I'm gonna be heavily weighted on in the favor of the facility side, because that's what I do. But I understand from a ministry side, if we're, if we're not doing ministry, then we're no longer a church. We're, we're strictly a property management company. And so there's got to be a balance there, but it can't be so lopsided that your buildings get to a point where you can't use them. We did a, I'll show you a picture in a minute. We did an assessment for a, a church um, 
in Shreveport, Louisiana, that, anybody see the movie We Bought a Zoo with Mark Wahlberg? Okay, they bought a mall, same thing. They thought they were getting a cash cow. They bought a million square foot mall, 17 acres of roof. So compare that to the one you were sharing earlier. Um, $16 million of deferred maintenance. And, and they've had to shut down half of the building because it's deteriorating to the point that you can't use it and it's not insurable anymore. There's, there's an epidemic that's a little strong probably of churches that are having to shut their doors because they can't maintain the building anymore. Which is why the whole uh, church merger and adoption has become such a big trend because other churches that are growing could utilize the space. But my caution to those churches is just because it's a free building doesn't mean it's free. You take over that building with $3 million of deferred maintenance, you just inherited $3 million in deferred maintenance. Yes. Yeah, this is all in the Yeah. And if not, I'll sell them to you. Um, <laughs> staffing. The churches that are best maintained are, are staffing at about 25, one full-time employee for general maintenance for every 25 to 35,000 square feet. Again, for, those, for the ones that have deferred maintenance, they underfund this and underfund that. So a couple of disclaimers with this is those numbers do not include managerial cost unless your manager is also doing the tasks. So there's a huge difference between a facility manager and a facility maintenance man. Too often we think we, we give a guy a title facility manager and what he is is a custodian. Nothing wrong with that. But we can't fool ourselves to think that that facility manager is really, or the guy we've called a facility manager, is actually thinking proactively. The biggest difference between maintenance and management is whether you're proactive or reactive. And a good facility manager will earn his keep by thinking ahead to extend the life of things and to set aside the right kind of money and so on and so forth versus always being in a uh, maintenance mode, in a band-aid mode and so on and so forth. So it does not include managerial staff unless they're doing the work. It does not include in grounds or insurance. Just as a, a freebie, and I don't think this is in my ebook, is we have found most churches need a budget between five and $6,000 per year per developed acre. So you could have 100 acres, but only 10 of it's developed. So you base it on 10 developed acres. And that should be enough for pine straw and blowing and cutting and you know all the things that go with that. And if we go up north, there's snow removal and so on and so forth. There's, it seems to balance out. Your outsourcing may impact these numbers. So if, if a church comes up to me and says, hey, we've got 50,000 square feet and only one FTE, so that seems out of balance, but they're outsourcing their preventive maintenance for um, HVAC and electrical and this and that and the other, then those numbers, I don't have a problem with those numbers going up because you have, they're still being taken care of with another line item in the budget. These are based on research by Cool Solutions Group and IFMA, and it assumes a six to seven day a week use. So if, if you're a Sunday, Wednesday only, these numbers are gonna be too high. If you're a six, seven day a week use, then these numbers are right in line. Bucket number two is deferred maintenance. 
So these are just some definitions that I got out of the encyclopedia Google. Um, and what is it? It's basically deferring things that should be done now for a later time. So what, why, is, why is that a big deal? Anybody want to guess? Thank you. So two studies that were done. One said for every $1 of deferred maintenance cost, you've got $4 of capital renewal needed in the future. So I don't do it now, so I saved a dollar, but in two or three years when, when it finally breaks, I'm gonna spend at least $4 on it. Let me give you a prime example of that. So a number of years ago, I worked with a church down near Hilton Head, and terrible place to work, but somebody had to. And um, they, they built a building and decided to go on the cheap side for some things, and they put in wood windows. Well, does anybody understand what wood and salt water Okay. Yeah. So about 10 years later, we came back and built them a concrete building. They said, can you look at our windows? And I said, yeah. And they weren't going up quite right, and they were peeling and all the stuff and swelling. I said, well, when was the last time you caulked and painted these? They hadn't done anything in 10 years. So we looked at a tube of caulk. Does anyone know what the warranty on a tube of caulk is? One year. So we, we did a quick study to say, if you'd have maintained your windows and recalked them every year for that 10 year period of time, you would have spent about $4,500. Instead, they spent $25,000 to replace the windows that had gone bad. That's deferred maintenance. You know, we, we complain about adding that, that four or $500 a year to our budget to take care of stuff and we, it's always the first thing that gets cut out of the budget, but then magically we can find $25,000 to replace windows? Doesn't, doesn't quite mesh for me. The other study was if a necessary repair is deferred and allowed to remain in service until the next level of failure, the resultant expense will be 30 times the early intervention. So let me give you, let's use that same example. If you haven't caulked your windows and you get a gap, and it rains, where does the water go? It's gonna go in the wall. And so instead of spending the couple dollars to recaulk it, in three, four, five, ten years, and you start seeing black stuff coming through your wall, now you're replacing drywall, you're repainting, you may have mold remediation, you may have studs that, that need to be replaced, you got wet insulation, and so on and so forth. It doesn't take long to get the 30 times what the cost would have been for $2 of caulk. So these are some prime examples of deferred maintenance. These are all pictures from assessments that we have done. Um, and I apologize for the light being too strong, but the church that built the, that bought the mall, that's on their roof. So they had a bunch of units that were tenant units they didn't need anymore. And so in their wisdom, they decided that it'd be better just to roof over the units instead of removing them. And so they just ran the roofing right over it. That's, um, you can't make this stuff up, okay? But, but you know, think about it. This is a downspout. This is actually a West Cobb Baptist Church. So what happens here over time if you don't have a place for that water to go? Where does it go? It's going to go underneath the foundation. It's going to go underneath the sidewalk. And so spending, instead of spending $10 for a splash block 
or a piece of black pipe to, to get it away from there, at some point in time, these people are going to spend thousands of dollars to fix foundations. Those are deferred maintenance. We, we work, when we're doing assessments, we try to help churches understand all this. This was a, um, an assessment for First Baptist Church Sevierville. $3.6 million dollars of deferred maintenance. Again, unless you're going to do a major renovation that takes care of a lot of your deferred maintenance, which is the best way to sell it, is you're upgrading your, your facility, making it more modern, and you're replacing all the bad stuff. Um, you know, it, it's hard to ever get caught up. Two other studies done by school systems, the, the, the NEA, the, the National School Teachers Union, they did a research project and found that to bring all of the school systems across America out of deferred maintenance would be $322 billion. To not only bring them out of deferred maintenance, but also to add modernization to the classrooms and whatnot, $542 billion. Okay, so yeah, but Tim, we're a we're a church. Why is this even relevant? Okay, a couple of reasons. There's only 98,000 public schools in America. There's 350,000 churches. Yeah, but schools are bigger. Go to Bellevue Baptist in Memphis. I assure you, it is bigger than most schools. They've got 753,000 square feet. Yeah, a lot of churches are only 10, 15,000 square feet. But at this number. It wouldn't surprise me that we are at least in that 300 to 500 billion dollar. And for an organization that claims to be good at stewardship, we're not very good at stewardship. That's my soapbox. <laughs> the other thing is school systems are an entitled, they get tax dollars, they get bond dollars. We don't get that as the church. We're reliant on the generosity of the people in the pew. To help us, which means that that group of people are looking to us to be responsible for the stewardship. One of the things that I've seen, and I, I won't justify it, but it's, but it's an interesting thought process, where we've been in churches that had deferred maintenance and they tried to raise money to replace the roof or whatnot. The younger part of the congregation are, are like, what? You 60-year-olds didn't plan for this? Didn't you know this was going to happen? I mean, these are inevitables. You will replace every air conditioning. You will replace all carpet. You will replace all asphalt and so on and so on and roofing. All that is inevitable. It's kind of like retirement. You've got to plan for it. You've got to have money set aside for it. So deferred maintenance. As part of that, we need to look at um, life cycle planning. As I mentioned, these are inevitable costs. It's not an if, it's a when and how much. So I'll give you three facts associated with this. The first one is all buildings deteriorate at a rate of one to 4% per year. You notice I didn't say all church buildings. It's all buildings. Hospital, school, even a Chick-fil-A will deteriorate at a rate of 4% a year. Fail rate, 1%, maybe a little less. For? Chick-fil-A. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, what's interesting, this is a total off the subject, but, but I, it's relevant for churches. Winston Churchill said, we shape our buildings and thereafter they shape us. Which basically means we all do church the way our building tells us to do church. 
you have X amount of rooms, you have X amount of seating capacity, you've got certain circulation. So we do church the way our buildings tell us to. And so we as a church think, well, we built it in the 50s, it was good enough then, why wouldn't it still be good enough for ministry today? Well, you know, when I pulled in the parking lot, I didn't see any hitching posts for horses. Things change over time. Things change over time, you know. I'm not going to ask who has a flip phone. I'm just not going to go there. Um, but there, there are things that we have to be ready for. So there's a Chick-fil-A two miles from my house in Charlotte. It was built 25 years ago. And about nine months ago, they bulldozed it. The building was in fine shape. They built a new one instead. Because they know that there's a more efficient way to run their restaurants today than there was 25 years ago. This, this one didn't have the double drive-through like all of them do now. Well, the new one has that. And so you know, I'm not suggesting that we all tear down our church buildings and build new ones. But we need to be cognizant of how can we not paint ourselves in a corner when we're designing something new to move into. So that's fact number one. Fact number two, because of that, you're going to replace nearly every physical component of your building over time. Now you may not replace the foundation, you may not replace the structural steel, you may not even replace your trusses. But most everything else will be replaced at some point in time. Windows, doors, your toilet stalls, your plumbing fixtures, all that at some point in time will be replaced. Which means, the third fact, is all of that requires dollars. I'm yet to find a roofing contractor that will trade sheep for, for roofing. Okay, Maybe 300, 400 years ago that was the case. And then as I've already mentioned, if you don't keep up with the natural rate of deterioration, it accelerates. So I use the term life cycle, um, and it's no, it's not a bicycle. It's, a, it's not a new kind of bike. So when you look at the life cycle of a building, it starts with planning, which is really, really fun, moves to design, which is fun, starts to get irritating, construction, which isn't always as much fun, then commissioning is a fancy word for making sure that the systems are operating the way it was intended to before you move in. And then the last one being facility management. But you notice it is a constant, because once you've been in a building a long time, you need to start replanning how you're utilizing it based on how you want to do ministry going forward. And so the cycle continues and continues. So to show you a little bit of um, example with this, is I'm going to break this up into the stages of human life to, to maybe make it a little easier for us to grasp. So during the prenatal stage, say before the building's ever built, you do not need any general maintenance, you don't need capital reserves, you're not doing any adaptations because you don't have a building. But this is the best time to start planning for how you're going to maintain your building. Too many churches I work with that we help them on the construction side they, all they're thinking about, okay, what's the cost of construction and what's the mortgage? Well, they forget that you also have to pay utility company. So there's a church I worked with in Nashville that had built a new building, and when we got there, the pastor was all upset. He goes, I don't understand it. We built this new building, and our utility costs went up. You added 60,000 square feet. Of course your utility costs are going to go up. No one had budgeted for it. So be thinking not just what's it going to cost you to build the building, what's it going to cost you to operate it? You've got to be thinking ahead. During the childhood, say years 1 through 16, you're going to have this routine maintenance, your general maintenance, 
and as you can see, it stays pretty level other than the rate of inflation. Unless you add more square footage, that, that number doesn't need to necessarily go up. But your capital reserves start kicking in somewhere around the middle of that. So most rooftop units and heat pumps have a life cycle of 15 to 18 years, if you maintain them. If not, it's a lot less than that. If you buy inexpensive carpet, three, five years, seven years, you're replacing it. So you're starting to do capital renewals in this first childhood. When you reach adolescence, 17 to 29 years, you're replacing a lot of things. A good chiller is good for 25, 28 years. So at that point, you're starting to replace a chiller. Um, you may have replaced your carpet two and three times in that period of time. If you had to replace a unit here at year 15, you're likely to replace another air conditioner, that same one again here. So now it starts compounding, so you can see the amount of reserves needed continues to grow. When you get into 30 to 49 years, that grows even more, because again, you're, you're now replacing what you've already replaced. Plus, you're probably replacing something you hadn't replaced before. But this comes in this, the time of adaptation. How many of you have gone from fluorescent to LEDs? Okay, that's an adaptation. That's a, that's a change in, in, in system, if you will. Um, a lot of churches we're dealing with have to, are looking to add elevators, they're looking at ramps, they're looking at other things like that. That's adaptations because it wasn't part of the original build. What's that assetinsights.net? I don't know, I stole this off the internet. That one right there, yeah. My guess is they're a company that specializes in, in this. Is this chart in your book? No, it's not. But for anyone that wants, if you'll give me your business card or email address, I'll email you the PowerPoint. That way you don't have to keep writing furiously. Yeah. <laughs> when you step into old age, um, and this is, this is kind of similar in age to uh, Alan, um, your, your adaptations drop down, so do your capital renewals because you've now replaced everything, so you've started the cycle over again. So with most of this that you've done in this year has gone back to childhood and going through the process again. That's gonna come back around. So again, it is a circular type thing. It's not a one and done. It's, it's perpetual, it's ongoing. Uh, I'm gonna skip through these because I just explained all that. But it, they'll be in the PowerPoint if you wanna read more later. What ends up happening in most of our churches is we get this struggle between the, the leaders saying, oh, we can get this to go another year, can't we? Can't we get, you know, put a Band-Aid on the air conditioner and put some duct tape here and so on and so forth. Uh, eventually, you start spending more money for repairs than you would have if you'd have spent money to fix something and get it done right. HVAC is one of the, the most common. It's, when, I, when I think of costs uh, for maintaining a building, HVAC roof and, and um, asphalt, are your three biggest ticket items. Flooring follows them behind that. <coughs> but when you're doing, um, when you're doing your roofing, when you're doing HVAC, there's, we always try to get it to go longer than we should. And if you were properly setting money aside for capital renewals, it wouldn't feel as awkward to have to replace it at the first sign of failure. I mean, what, what happened, if you're in a large sanctuary and you have a 100 ton chiller and it goes out because you haven't replaced it, 
How many weeks do you think you could survive holding services at your church? Because you don't go to Lowe's and buy a 100-ton chiller. I mean, it's, it in many cases is a 12 to 16 week lead time to even have it ordered, fabricated, and sent to your site. Then you've got to coordinate a crane to lift it up and all the other things that go with it. So how many weeks can you plant? So if you, if you had capital reserves set aside and you started to see, hey, we're spending a lot of money on that one rooftop unit, and you knew, hey, we're gonna replace it next year anyway, let's replace it now and stop throwing good money after bad. So to help accentuate this, we did a, a, a study on the real cost of facility ownership. Ownership, not building, not the cost to build it, but what does it cost to own a building? Most churches don't think in those terms. So we looked at a 30,000 square foot building. Uh, we, we assumed $4.7 million in cost. I've got a few years on this slide, so it's you couldn't build it for that today. But let's say that of the 4.7, you're going to borrow $3 million. So you've got 1.7 that you've raised cash. You do a 15-year amortization at 6%, but you pay it off in seven years. Well, during that seven years, you will spend $1.1 million in interest. So consider that the cost of money. You know, Dave Ramsey says, anytime you buy something on credit, the interest you pay adds to the cost of that item. You buy a car for $20,000 and you finance it and you spend $5,000 on interest, that car costs you $25,000, then costs you twenty. dollars Same thing with, with our church buildings. So then using the numbers that I had on the earlier slides for operations, somewhere between $525 and $750 a square foot for these. So we're going to add that to the equation. Then. We'll talk more about capital reserves later, but the, the cheater, I don't want to figure it out, method is one to three dollars a square foot. If it's a brand new building, about one dollar a square foot annually set aside, we'll cover it. If you're under 40 years old, then two dollars. If you're over 40, you need to put three because you have deferred maintenance you got to deal with as well. So a total of about 625 to 950 a square foot. So let's just assume it's seven dollars a square foot. For that 30,000 square foot building, that's $210,000 that you need to properly maintain and plan for your long-term capital replacement. If we assume a 40-year life, and frankly, if you don't think a building's gonna last more than 40 years, then don't build it. You know, buy a tent, rent a shopping center, rent an old Mitsubishi plant, whatever. Buildings were meant to last 40 years. The reason we picked 40 years is it's industry standard. When you're looking at the um, replacement costs, most industry professionals use 40 years as a benchmarking point. So if we took 40 years at 1.5% inflation, which may or may not be accurate, our initial cost of 4.7, our cost of money at 1.1, the cost of operations over 40 years is $13.4 million. So it's gonna cost me $13.5 million to maintain my $4.7 million building. So where, where should we give the attention? You know, too often we're, we're all worried about saving a uh, dollar a square foot off of the construction cost or a half a percent off the general contractor's fee. And we forget to, to think about things like, how do I get to that 40 foot chandelier? 
How am I going to how am I going to replace the lights over the pews when I have a slant, slanted floor? We don't think about those things. I was at one church recently. You couldn't get to the air conditioning filters. They built them right up against a wall, and there was no way to get the filter all the way out. You know, th those are things that need to be considered. That's just not well thought through. So my $4.7 million building actually cost me just under $20 million over 40 years. When I look at the original cost, the cost of money, and the cost of operations. That's a big number. The other thing to remember is that's all money that's coming out of tithes and offerings from people in your church. Got to put it back into perspective of where this money is coming from. So looking at it from a pie chart standpoint, uh, you've got about 20% sticks and bricks, 3% construction fees and design fees. About 6% was the cost of money, the interest. 71% is the cost of operations. This is generally where the finance people start getting queasy and want to leave the room. So right after we did our report, we did this for Church Executive Magazine a few years ago, and right after we did this, I got a call from the folks at State Farm in Chicago. They have a division that does facility management, uh, architecture, construction management for all the uh, State Farm around the country. And they had just finished a, a study of all their 40 and 50 year old buildings. And so they were intrigued by ours. Uh, the guy that contacted me was actually a believer, uh, which was kind of cool. But their study showed 80% was the cost of operations. Then I found a book written in 1965 by an architect that said it was 85% operations. Now, in all fairness to, to all three of these numbers, their numbers included insurance, mine didn't. So take your insurance costs, and my guess is you are easily in that 80 to 85% range. Regardless if it's 71 or 85, these are big numbers that we can't just neglect. So when we think capital reserves, I, you, you all came here because you're involved in a church in some way or another. So we've got to bring it back to scripture eventually. And because I was a preacher's kid, I can twist scripture any way it's necessary to get my point across. Okay? So, 2 Kings 2, 4 through 15, and I'll read just a couple of the verses. It says, Let every priest receive the money from one of the treasuries, then use it to repair whatever damage is found in the temple. That's the first capital reserve account ever established. But by the 23rd year of King Joash, the priest still had not repaired the temple. That's a deacon's meeting. Okay? The priests agreed that they would not collect any more money from the people and that they would not repair the temple themselves. They did not do a DIY. They hired craftsmen to come in and do the repairs for them. Just as another side note because of my ability to twist scripture, and while you've got your Bible out, uh, Numbers 3, 14 through 38 makes it very clear that the first facility managers were high priests. If you read this scripture, this is where it goes through, and the Lord says, the Levites will do this with the candle holders, they'll do this with the flags, and this with the... the, the, the. It wasn't just any tribe of Israel, it was the high priests. So I'm convinced that long before there was a youth pastor or associate pastors, there were facility managers. I told you I was going to be biased. So what are capital reserves? And capital reserves, by the way, are your 
third bucket. So operations, deferred maintenance, capital reserves. In a, in a simple uh, definition, it's an amount of money that a company or organization sets in a special account for future needs. So let's break that down. There's three primary components of this. The first is it's money. It's not the hope of money. It's not the wishful thinking of money. It is money, it's dollars. It's in a special account, or at least in a designated line item of your GL. It cannot be the slush fund for every other ministry when they come up short. Remember, it's inevitable. You're gonna use that money. And so churches say, yeah, but we borrow from ourselves all the time, and, and then we plan to play, pay it back. And they never pay it back, okay? Yes, yeah, like the government. Um, except the government can keep taxing us to death until they finally do pay it back. The last is, it, it's for the future. Churches will say, well, yeah, we have a capital reserve line item in our budget and we spend it every year. But you're not planning for the future. How many of you have an IRA or some kind of retirement account, okay? How many of you put money in it to spend it the next year? You don't, you, you put it in there in smaller amounts so that it will grow over time so that when you do need it, you have the right amount of money to do it instead of just spending it every year. So it's forward down the road and not immediate. Things like um, the HVAC repairs and whatnot, that's all general maintenance. This is general replacement. This is gonna be capital replacement type things. You can't look at it as a rainy day fund. You also have to look at it from the perspective of what's the current replacement value. What you built your building for in 1960 will not be enough money to replace it today. So you need to be thinking that one to 4% um, deterioration is based on the current replacement value, not what the original construction cost was. Um, most of you, I'm sure, or at least at your church, you are providing your insurance company with a current replacement value as part of your insurance policy, or they're telling you what it is. And so this should not be a hard number to figure out. So how much money is enough? Anybody want to guess? More. More. <laughs> yes. <laughs> More is always the right answer. So we strongly suggest that you, you start using a tool to, to define this. As I said, if you, if you want to just go the easy route, one to three dollars a square foot every year for capital reserves. That will build it up to the point of, of what you need long term. Unless you have deferred maintenance that you're now robbing that account to take care of deferred maintenance, then you never will get caught up. But we would suggest looking at your HVAC, at least your major dollar items and start line-iting them out. I've got 10 air conditioning units. This, da, da, da. There are this many tons of air conditioning. Uh, the, here's the current, re, um, current replacement value. How many years of life do I have? So people say, well, well I don't know what that stuff costs. There's a thing called the internet that you can find all of that information. But your best source actually is the vendors that service your church now. Your HVAC company should already give you a list of all the things that they're maintaining, what the ages are, their condition, and what they expect the life expectancy to be. They should be providing that for you regardless. So now you need to maybe consider some of the other components of your building. And it's not just building. Everything in your church has a life cycle. The AVL system has a life cycle, and it's really short because the new 
fancy gadget just came out and so what I have now isn't good anymore. Every one of your computers have a life cycle. So you need to be thinking what is our life cycle replacement cost of all of those type of things. I'm also a big fan of the um, one-time lamping, particularly of sanctuaries. So when I walk into a sanctuary and I see a light out, a light out, a light out, and I ask, well, what's going on? Well, we're waiting until there's more lights out and then we're gonna get the scaffolding to the lift. I'm like, as a first time guest, it's like, you're not taking care of your building. And if you can't take care of your building, how are you gonna take care of me and my family? So those kind of things communicate a story to a first time guest. And so I'm a big fan of, of saying, particularly in sanctuaries, go in and decide, talk to a manufacturer and get a bulb that you think is gonna meet the lumens that you need. Ask them what they expect the number of hours to be. Discount that by about 20 or 25% because manufacturers lie. Change them all at one time, and then when you reach X number of hours, assume, do your own calculation. Okay, we use the sanctuary for 15 hours a week, so 15 hours a week for 52 weeks, for how many hours is that? You'll know about when you need to replace them, and when you hit that time, replace them all. Oh, but some of them are still working, but not for long. It, you get the electrician out there one time, you rent the lift one time, all that that goes with it. I'm just, I'm a big fan of that instead of the hodgepodge. Um, the other thing that drives me nuts with, with light fixtures is when I walk down a, a corridor or go into a classroom with fluorescent lights and there's three or four different colors of light bulbs. Drives me nuts. You know, it's like, couldn't you have, thought about, it's, it's being intentional is really what it boils down to. Instead of just running out to Lowe's or Home Depot and finding the, the on sale light bulb, no, it's a cool white or it's a bright white or it's a whatever it is and getting the right kind. So back on the back table, I've got a little postcard uh, for eSpace. Um, and we have a software product called eSpace that's a facility management software, but of that, there's a free tool for life cycle projections. We call it a life cycle calculator. And so it's totally free, there's no cost to it. But what it'll allow you to do is, is have a tool to start logging all of this kind of stuff. So what it'll allow you to do is create capital groups. So HVAC is a capital group, elevators, parking, roofing. Um, what's the system, where is it located? What's its current replacement value? Again, you should be able to get this from your vendors. Mr. Vendor, if I were gonna replace that 10 ton unit today, what would it cost me? Plug that number in here. Then, Mr. Vendor, how many years life is still left on that item? Oh, you've got five more years. Put this in the estimated life. You then can plug in your own inflation factor, 3%, 10%, whatever you think inflation is going to be over a period of time, and it will tell you how much money you need set aside. So in this case, this is a $52,000 elevator with a 20-year life expectancy. In 20 years at 3%, I need $92,000 set aside. Or in this case, $4,700 a year set aside for that line item. It just it's a more intentional way to really know how much money you're going to have. Then annually, the, the, this tool also will give you an annual summary so you can see every year how much of that money is going to be going out because of the, the life cycle projections of everything. 
and whether you use this or you use a spreadsheet or an abacus, use something to start planning your long term. And I have no idea why the first one came up first. But when I look at churches, we'll say, well, where do we start? How do we prioritize? We can't do it all at one time. First thing, when it comes to capital reserve, you probably can't afford to add another one to two dollars a square foot to your budget for capital reserves. Start with 25 cents a square foot. Start with, do something. Start setting something aside on a regular basis. For those of you that need to convince a finance committee, if you will use a tool like this and then sit down with them and say, look, over the next five years, we have a half a million dollars at risk. What are we prepared to do about it? Those kind of discussions will need to happen. So when I'm looking at prioritizing, if I look at the largest line items, I've already mentioned it, HVAC, roofing, and asphalt. Those are big, big ticket items. Um, and so if I did nothing else, I'd at least track those things. Then when I look at operational impact, HVAC is a big one because between 50 and 75% of your utility bill is attributed to HVAC. So the more it runs inefficiently, the higher that number becomes. Your building envelope is a big uh, operational, because you have leakage, air, air leakage in and out, you've got water infiltration, that's a big deal, and then lighting and electrical are operational impact. Visual impact, your parking and site concrete. So the, it's said that it takes about seven seconds to make a first impression. In a church setting, there's a whole series of first impressions, starting from the website, to driving by the building, to actually coming in to the parking lot. So our parking lot's one of the very first things people see when they come to our church as a first time guest. So there's gonna be a visual impact that's going to communicate some kind of story to them about whether you care about your facilities or not, whether or not you're taking care of things or not. Your floor finishes are a big thing. When I walk into buildings, I look at floors and ceilings. I, I'm weird. But those are the things, I'm looking for the duct tape on the floor, I'm looking for polished, I'm looking for the stained ceiling tiles like right above us here. Those are telltales of a lack of intentionality in keeping up with the building. And those kind of things to a first time guest will jump out. They will make an impact on their interpretation of who you are. Wall finishes, you know, are they dinged up? Are they scratched? Are they faded? Are they written all over? And then your lighting will have a great visual impact as well. Also on our website is a, um, we have another free ebook on how to establish a capital reserve account. And so another tool just to use uh, to get started. So we've hit the first three buckets, operations, deferred maintenance, capital reserves. The fourth bucket is capital projects. So we're gonna do a massive renovation. We're going to add on 10 classrooms. All that needs to be a separate bucket of money and not come out of the first three. But in a perfect scenario, in a perfect world, you'd only have three buckets. So who's gonna let me know which one of the buckets isn't there anymore? Deferred maintenance. Again, in a perfect world, you would properly fund and staff your general maintenance 
keep everything flowing the way it is so you never have deferred maintenance. And when you reach the end of life, you replace it with the capital reserve money you have. Now, I understand that none of us live in a perfect world, and so there's other accommodations you have to do. Um, but if I could get every church that we work with to get to a point where they had no deferred maintenance because they were properly funding things, um, they would, in the long run, there would be less of a draw on funds for ministry if we were doing it right in the first place. It would be painful the first couple of years, but in 15 years, 12 years, 20 years down the road, when you've already got the money and you're wanting to do a missions trip or do a building project, but you also have $2 million of deferred maintenance, you won't have the deferred maintenance because you've already taken care of it. You're planning ahead for it. Alan, I'm done. So let me, um, let me just open it up for any other questions that um, I may not have addressed already. Capital projects, you have 400, I need to see the orders under the capital projects. Oh, there you go. Renovations, additions, okay, that's what I want. Yeah, new construction or repurposing. Uh -huh. It's been interesting since, since the 2008 uh, Great Recession, we have done probably more work with churches on renovations and repurposing than new construction and additions. Um, and, and one of the reasons being is churches think they need more space when in most cases they have more space than they need. Right. Uh, one of our clients, First Baptist Tupelo, called me up and we were working with them to, add, to renovate to their building. And they said, well, we need probably 20 or 30,000 square feet more. So I got there. They had 97,000 square feet to begin with. And I said, you've got 20,000 square feet too much. So if you were to call me up and say, hey, Tim, uh, we're going to go, we bought a piece of virgin property and we're going to go build a new building on it. My first question to you would be, are you a Sunday school church or not? If you're a Sunday school church, well, if, you, if you're a Sunday school church, you need about 50% more square footage than if you're not a Sunday school church. Um, so if you are a Sunday school church, you need about 75 square feet per person. That's enough for education, for worship, for lobbies, for admin, all the, the stuff that goes with that. So if you were running 600 people at 75, you only need about 42, 43, 45,000 square feet. And that was Tupelo, when we ran their numbers, they only needed about 70,000 square feet given their attendance at 75 square feet per person. At, at the end of the day, we were able to help them double their capacity with only adding 2,500 square feet to the building. Because we repurposed it in a way that made it flow better, work better, they had space that was underutilized. Um, it just made more sense. And so uh, how many of you have a church where uh, you've got the education department the way the 1950s Sunday School Board said you need to set it up? We've got a big room and you got the little rooms around it and most of them just strictly have Christmas decorations in them now. <laughs> okay, That's a prime example of churches that have too much square footage. It's just poorly utilized. And so things to think about. What do you recommend in that situation? Um, because the rooms are they're pretty small. You can fit four right or five kids in there with an adult. Yeah. And that's not the way that it's not the way we do it today. Done right now. Yeah. Um, in those cases, I'm I'm recommending churches first look to see if those walls are load bearing. If they're not load bearing, I get rid of them. If they are load bearing, then consider is there another way to open it up and still keep the load bearing component? Sometimes that means putting a beam in. 
uh, you know, take the wall out, shore it up, put a beam in, or only taking portions of the wall out to give it a sense of, of openness to where maybe part of the room is pre-function space or a larger small group area stepping back into a larger large group area. Other questions? Complaints, criticism. This tool yeah. that's online that we can use that there's a free part. Mm -hmm. Does it we can save our information? Yeah. Yeah, you'll get a login and you can save it and continue to use it for as long as you want. This slick. We originally when we developed it, we're going to charge for it. And I'm so convicted that churches need to take care of their buildings that we just decided to give it give it away. And um, the ebook has most of it in it's on our website. So if you go to coolsolutionsgroup.com and go to resources, we've got a whole bunch of it. Also on the back table, do you mind holding up that middle card there? We have a free online community called Church Facility Management Solutions. It's all things church facility management. We've got about a thousand people on it right now. And so what we do is every, every week we send out two emails, Monday and Thursday, with topics specific for church facilities. Once a month we do webinars. Um, we have one coming up next week on how IT is impacting facilities, because that's becoming a, a huge issue. Um, and then on top of it, it's got a forum that you can talk to other people to say, hey, how are you guys doing this, and, and so on. And then there's about 300 free resources. Uh, checklists and tools. And we've got one thing on there that's really cool. It's called a cleaning calculator. And it's a, sp a spreadsheet with tons of tabs and a bunch of macros where you can go room by room and say the room is this square footage. It's got what kind of flooring, what kind of ceilings, what kind of walls, does it have windows, does it have a sink. You can put all this in and it will calculate how many man hours it takes to clean that room one time. So you do that for all your rooms and you can see how much it would take to clean it one time. Then you can say, how many times a week do we need to clean it to keep it up the way we want it? Let's just say three. So do the math and multiply it by three. Then you can compare that to what you're really spending time-wise. What we find most churches is they think they're at a Ritz-Carlton level and they're somewhere around a Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> you know, they just, there's a misconception that they can have the Ritz for what they've budgeted for it. We have most <laughs> Well, at least you'll keep the lights on. <laughs> Tim, let me ask you this. Uh, are you going to be repeating this session, or is there something in addition, or will this be the session that you repeat? No, I'm not repeating any sessions. You're not repeating? I'm doing four all new. Okay, so these guys would want to come back to that. Uh, if, if you can come to the sessions, if they're all moved. Yeah, and, uh, there'll, be some, there'll be a little overlap, but the, each one's a, a different topic. Great, man, that's, that's great, so there's a lot of information. And I just want to say this, you know, how many mission trips, how many, how many missions giving, how, how much ministry should we be doing if we actually were really good stewards, you know, and, mm -hmm. and just took this information. Man, when I was a pastor, I wish I had had you to come and present that at budget time. Wow, mm -hmm. that is tremendous stuff. So. And then I want to ask you this, Tim, are you going to be available for any questions after this? Oh, yeah. I think we have like eight hours between now and the next session. <laughs> well, I just want to make sure yeah. that's good with you in case anybody has a question yeah, afterwards. Uh, I've got nowhere to go. My family's been back in North Carolina, so I've, I've got nowhere to go. Well, if you're open to that. Uh, hey, guys, let's thank uh, Tim for yeah, thank you.